Shabbat Shalom. I had a couple things that I ran across this week that made me really sad, almost to the point of weeping. So I want to talk about them. Kay loves musicals, as do I. I love them a lot. And she put on Les Mis, and we were listening to it as we were doing stuff around the kitchen. And for those of you who don't know the story, uh, many of you I'm sure do, Les Miserables, I'm not French and I don't speak French, but I think that's how you say it, basically means the, the miserable people. And it's set in France in the early 19th century. It runs from about 1815 to about 1832. The book was written by Victor Hugo in 1860-some-odd. Long book, like 800 pages. But it's recognized as one of the classics of all literature. And it's been set to music. And the musical is spectacular. I mean, it is just wonderful. One of the best that's ever been written. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but the two protagonists are Jean Valjean, who was a convict. He was arrested for stealing a loaf of bread, sentenced to five years in prison, tried to escape a couple times, and winds up spending like 20 years in prison before he finally gets out. When he gets out, he can't get a job, can't get a place to stay, nothing, because he's an ex-con. And a priest takes him in off the street and brings him in, gives him a place to stay warm and so forth, and he repays that kindness by stealing the guy's silver. The police catch him, take him back, and say, we caught this guy with your silver. And the Catholic guy says, no, I gave it to him. And furthermore, what was wrong with you, Jean Valjean? You didn't take these silver candlesticks. You left part of it behind. So this is the first kindness that anybody has ever shown him. And the priest says, I have bought your soul for God. And Jean Valjean is changed. And he spends the rest of his life doing good. He starts a factory. He winds up being a mayor of a small town. His whole life is dedicated now to God and doing good. On the other side, the other protagonist is Javert. And Javert is a prison guard when Jean Valjean is in prison. And Javert goes on and becomes a police inspector and a bunch of other things. And he runs across Valjean, recognizes him, recognizes that 20 years ago he broke parole and he is still wanted man. So Valjean has to give up his factory, give up his mayorship, and run. And so he continues to run, and Javert comes across him periodically, and every time he does, Valjean has got to pick up stakes and move, because this guy is relentless. So the thing that brought me to tears, at the end of the play, there's an incident where Valjean is given the opportunity to kill Javert. And he says to Javert, your life is safe in my hands, go. And doesn't kill him. Javert can't handle that. And so Javert sings this magnificent song, and it 
will choke you up, it chokes me up, where he's saying, I cannot live in the world of Jean Valjean. Now, you need some background on Javert because it's important to what I'm talking about. Javert also came from the slums. And he worked his way out of the slums and his idea of the law is the law is the thing that keeps the slums from taking over everything. The law is my only protection. The law is the thing that keeps me safe and keeps society safe and I am by God going to make sure that the law is always enforced because that's our safety. And so he has this guy Jean Valjean, whose life has changed. He can't recognize that. He can't see it. He only sees a criminal. And he sees that this criminal has shown him mercy. And in the song he says, I am the law, and the law is not mocked. He can't handle it. And he winds up committing suicide. The degree of lostness and the lack of faith, love, understanding of this man. This man is a believer in God. He prays to God. But he's lost. Not lost in the not saved sense, but lost in that he doesn't have an appreciation for the love of God. That side of God he doesn't really see. He only sees the law side of God. And in that sense, he's a Pharisee. Because the Pharisees only see the law side of God. And they see the law as being their protection from chaos, their protection from everything. All right, now put a bookmark there. The other thing I saw was a letter that was written to a Calvinist blog. I've talked to this guy before, his blog and May blog. He's a Calvinist, but he's very sharp. And this letter was written by somebody who listened to one of his sermons. And I want you to listen to this letter, and you'll see why these two things affected me. I just listened to your post on YouTube entitled The Integrated Life. I am in tears as I write this. Holding back a deluge... I am a 64-year-old who, along with my husband, raised five children in a Christian home. I realized about seven years ago that I did that with very little grace and much legalism. I sat down with them together and apologized and repented. The oldest is 40, the youngest is 28. And one of the five is living her life for Jesus. One is carried off into a very liberal theology. One knows he needs to, but loves his life as the way it is. The other two aren't apparently interested at all. Listening to your teaching made me really sad all over again. It's too late for me to change how I did it, and I have vehemently repented to them. My husband and I pray for them every night by name. Now with three in-laws and four granddaughters added to the mix, two of my granddaughters are being raised with no thought or talk of Jesus. However, their parents are allowing me to teach them Bible study every Sunday night. I am so grateful for that and know better now. You must have come across parents like ourselves 
who were caught up in the do's and don'ts with very little grace. Any suggestions? Thank you so much for your diligence and obedience. Thank you for your sense of humor. I love that. Blessings, Susan. This is a female, Javert. All she sees is the law. And the law is either a protection, which is what it's designed to be, by the way. The law is designed to be a protection. That's why God gave it to us. But what she sees is the law is the only way of life and is the only way to keep you out of God's bad book and the only way to live. And it's interesting that the guy she's writing to is a Calvinist. <laughs> and as I said, I like him very much, but I don't agree with this theology. The thing I want to talk about is the thing that's missing from Javert and the thing that was missing from Susan. She talks about grace. She's still missing it. The thing that she should be talking about is God's love. Those are different things. God's love and God's grace are two different things. They're both attributes of God, but they're different. And the thing she sees is grace, which is, oh, by the way, an artifact of law. Because grace is the thing that keeps him from rigorously applying the law when we need it or deserve it, right? So grace is also an artifact of law. That's different than love. Very different. And don't get me wrong. I am very grateful for the grace of God. I am very grateful for the law of God. But the thing that is missing in both of these characters, both you know, Ver and Susan, is an understanding of God's love. Now, one of the things that I am convinced of is many people regard God as a series of do's and don'ts. And in our society right now, where everybody gets to roll their own, I mean, you get to roll your own reality, A list of do's and don'ts is not attractive because they don't have a sense that the do's and don'ts are important to them. I mean, they've just gotten the Congress, for God's sake, to deny sexuality. They're of the belief that they can roll their own reality here. So a list of do's and don'ts that they don't agree with is not attractive at all. So let's talk about God's love and how we know he loves us. Now, don't get me wrong. I've read the book, and he says over and over and over again he loves us. But that's not persuasive to a lot of people. Again, Susan, she sees only legalism and grace, both of which are two sides of the law. That's really all she sees. Let's go to John. And 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, and God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. Variation of the football passage, you know, God so loved the world. And again, that isn't resonating with people, but I'm going to tell you why. I'll get there in a second. 
Let me pop up a level. One of the ways that we know God loves us is because of Yeshua. Not because he sent Yeshua to die for our sin. That's wonderful. I'm not knocking that. What we have, though, is the example of a man who was warm and caring and liked being around people. I mean, his first miracle is at a wedding where he makes wine. This man enjoyed people. He enjoyed being around people. He would walk through crowds and little children would come up to him. And his disciples would try and shoo him away. You know, don't, don't, don't bother the master. And he says, no, knock it off. Bring him here. This is a warm, generous, caring man who is also God. That's how we see the love of God. I mean, the abstract stuff in the book, that doesn't resonate with lots of people. But when you see this man who loves us, and in fact, the only time you really get starchy is with the Pharisees, who are rule-bound. And again, he is not against the rules. He made the rules. The rules are there for our protection. The rules are good. And what happened with the Calvinist and the Pharisee is they don't see the purpose of the law. They only see the law as a protection against punishment. That's key. Let's go back to 1 John. And I'm going to pick it up in 1 John 4, verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And the whole thing with the Pharisees, the whole thing with Javert, the whole thing with Susan is this fear of punishment. That's what the law means to them. Is it something that protects me from punishment? It's something that protects society from chaos, and that last part is true. It does protect society from chaos. In that sense, it's good. But their view of God is, I need to walk so as to avoid punishment. I need to walk so as to avoid going to hell. However you want to describe that, is my focus is staying out of trouble so I won't be punished. And that misses the love of God. That misses the whole point of the exercise. And what John is saying is, if you know God and you know his love, you no longer fear punishment. It's not something you worry about. So the first thing I'm saying is, you have the example of this man Jesus, who is loving, who is caring, who likes people, who laughs, who has a glass of wine. He's somebody that is warm and generous. Let's pop up now to God. Yeshua is God, don't get me wrong, I'm not differentiating, but let's assume for a moment that Yeshua isn't there and all we have is the Father. Just make that assumption for a moment. Now, 
if you're a Calvinist or a Pharisee and you look at the world and you say, ooh, we have really screwed this up. We are fallen. We are sinners. We are less than worms. Then what do you deserve? Don't you deserve an eternity of dull gray skies and nothing to eat but oatmeal without sugar? Isn't that what you deserve? I mean, yeah, he's going to keep you alive, but it isn't going to be enjoyable. It isn't going to be nice. But look at what he does instead. Look at this world that he's made. Look at the beauty of the skies. Look at the beauty of the mountains. Look at the beauty of the flowers. There's a preacher I used to listen to a long time ago. I don't have anything against him. I just for some reason quit listening. And he was hiking up in Rocky Mountain National Park, and he comes into a meadow. And this meadow is carpeted with flowers. And he says to his wife, who's walking with him, Ah, look at this. This is something that he made. Nobody else has seen it except us. And his wife looked at him and said, No, he made it because he likes it. This is a God, a being that enjoys beauty. He enjoys the taste of good food. He enjoys a glass of wine, you know, when he came to us in the flesh. That's a manifestation of love. But in the Pharisees' eyes, in the Calvinists' eyes, the idea is, oh, man, we've got to walk on eggshells and we've got to be really careful because if we're not, we're really going to get punished. Now, I'm going to give you two more words that are different. You can tell they're spelled differently. One is punishment and the other is consequences. Those are different things. And we've been reading about Jacob. And one of the things that we see in Jacob's life is the consequences of his scummy behavior come back to him. So he steals the blessing of the firstborn. And he winds up getting the firstborn as his bride instead of the one that he loves. He deceives his father with a goat. He is going to be deceived by his own sons with the blood of a goat when they sell his favorite son into slavery. Those are consequences. That's not punishment. And what happens in this world that God has created is when you do lousy things, there are consequences. That doesn't mean God has ceased to love you. It's simply that the way he has organized his world is everything balances. And so if you do stupid stuff or evil stuff or any of that kind of stuff, you are going to suffer consequences. And it may not be immediate, but it'll happen. And if you look at the consequences of what you have done as punishment from God, you miss the point again. Consequences and punishment are very different things. Now, God does punish Israel periodically. He's got a covenant with them. And when they finally violate the covenant to the point where he can't stand it anymore, he does punish them. So that does happen. Punishment is a real thing. Hell is a real thing. But most people go through life being afflicted with the consequences of their own actions, and they look upon it as the punishment of God. And it's not. Hence, 
Pharisees, Calvinists, Susan, Javert. They don't see the love of God because all they see is consequences as being the manifest hand of God. That's a tenet of Calvinism, folks. We are totally depraved. We deserve nothing but oatmeal without sugar. God in his infinite grace has saved us and he controls everything. He is controlling everything. He's got his hands on all the switches, hand over here poised over the smite button. That's Calvinism. Now, God does conceal himself, backs off. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that, as I have described it, is if you were driving around all your life with a highway patrolman in the passenger seat of your car, you'd never have a chance to screw up. You'd never have a chance to develop your own free will. You would never have a chance to find love. In other words, if there were a little pillar of fire right there, and you knew without a doubt that that pillar of fire was God right there, I will guarantee you that a whole bunch of people's lives would change on the spot. But that's not free will. That's compulsion. And what God doesn't want is compulsion. He wants you to love him because you love him. He doesn't want you to love him because you're terrified of what's going to happen if you don't. Remember, John says God is love. He loves us. He showed us that in his son, not just in the fact that he set his son to pay for our sins. I mean, that, that's... That's a big deal, but that's not what I'm talking about. He sent his son as an example so that we could see his love for us in something perhaps more real to us than a sunset or a field full of flowers or a wonderful meal that somebody has cooked instead of the cold oatmeal with no sugar. He loves us. And he wants us to walk in that love. And if you walk in that love, you will not be afraid. You won't be afraid of punishment. And that love, if it flows from you, will be attractive to other people. Whereas a list of rules is not particularly attractive. As I said, reading Susan and listening to Javert, I was brought to tears. They don't understand. And so they're terrified. And that's not right. That's why God says, don't be afraid. So, don't walk in fear. Walk in joy and love. And that will be attractive. <laughs>